HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we are coming to you live today at 10 a.m. from Roberta's Restaurant in the Shipping Container. I'm here with a friend of mine, a neighbor across the street. Uh, you'll see me at his bar. You'll see, in fact, probably our our whole restaurant from La Pizza getting drinks at the bar at Saxon and Parole. Um, the bar manager, bar director, head mixologist over there, uh, my good friend Naren Young. Welcome. Thanks, buddy. It's good to have you on the... It's good to be here, finally. <laughs> um, so, you know, we never really talked about this, and, and I was reading your bio before you got on. Uh, is, is it true that the movie Cocktail is really, like, what got you into mixing drinks? Or is uh, that just a tongue-in-cheek no, kind of thing? Actually, that is true. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I, I guess I saw the movie. I must have been 14 or something, and I thought, this looks like a pretty cool job at that time which kind of seemed strange when you're 14 but it, it you know resonated with me for some reason i just started buying cocktail books and just sort of reading them and researching cocktails and started throwing bottles around in the back garden and whenever my mother would have people over for dinner i would make like really bad cocktails for her and her friends and it, it just kind of started from there it's a and true story you were a teenager making cocktails yeah. and doing some of these like show trick <laughs> i was trying techniques. i was in the back garden like throwing bottles around but you know i think that that kind of set me up for where I am now because I was studying cocktails a long time before I could legally make them. So by the time I was like 18, which is the drinking age in Australia, um, you know, I probably knew like one or 200 cocktails in my head, but had never really made any of them. I just, I just knew their recipes and I'd never made them. So finally, when I got to work in a bar, I just, I kind of, you know, had a good, I guess, foundation. It's a very strange um, way I got into the industry, but that's, that is a true story. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you've worked now. You've worked at some of the the best bars at Pegu Club, at Pravda, at La Conda Verde, great restaurant, uh, and now at Saxon Parole. But what was your very first 
Is it one of those stories where you worked at some cheesy bar, or did you did you get right away at somewhere that was uh, notable? No, I pretty much worked my way up, just yeah. probably like you did. You know, you know, like I was. I remember my very first job was actually vacuuming an Italian restaurant when I was about ten. So that was my first like foray into restaurants, and um, uh, but you know. Each bar that I worked at got progressively better. Like the first ones were were terrible, as most of us probably started out. And um, you know, I worked at some pretty pretty seedy, you know, um, or dubious pubs in Sydney. You know, where I grew up in Australia, and you know, a lot of fights and just a lot of um, you know interesting characters. But then each, you know, as each place, you know, as I've kind of progressed, each place got better and better, and, and I, I kind of searched out better and better. So you know, each place. Um, was it was a definitely a stepping stone to where to where I am now? And what was the first place that that you worked at where you're like, oh wow, this is different. They take things seriously. I'm I'm going to learn something here. Sure. I mean, the first place that did that was a, a venue called the Grand Pacific Blue Room, and at that time, with you know, it opened in '94, and I, I probably started there in like '98, I guess. And that was like the the only kind of place in Australia where it was like the beacon for bartenders to go. And at that time, there was no bar culture, you know. There was, you know, people were making frozen strawberry daiquiris and pina coladas, and you know that's kind of where the industry was at that stage. And you know, cranberry juice hadn't even come on the scene yet. Um, so, you know, that was the first place I saw that had interesting spirits in their world. They had like Bombay Sapphire and like Stolich Naya, and I was like, everyone was like, "Whoa, this place is like on a different level." So I actually sought out that place, and I went after the owners and said, "Hey, I really want to work here." At that stage, I was just a young kid, and you know, they gave me a job, and it kind of that's where it kind of that's where my passion really kind of started and that's where i guess i cut my teeth so to speak well speaking of speaking of cranberry juice i I like to think that we take a a lot of pride in in our products and sourcing and using only fresh juice and good bitters and good spirits but you you recently uh called me out very publicly on twitter for uh using cranberry juice out of the gun (laughs) sorry joe i had to do it man i love your products man you know and i was sitting there happily having a negroni but it was you know i just it was it was a you know it was a friendly friendly banter. <laughs> what I mean, what are some of the things that that are your your pet peeves when you when you go to a bar? You know, at this point, you have just a, a ton of experience and you know the right way to do things. Other than cranberry juice on the gun, like what are some of your other pet peeves? You know, I, I just think that any great bar is all in the details. You know, and I think the one thing that's on my mind right now for some reason in the last few days is brown limes. That's my pet peeve when you go into a bar and particularly doing brunch. It's like these things are, you know, um, illuminated because it's daytime and, yes. you know, so those are those little things. And, I, you know, I guess people like yourself look at those details more finely than other people. You know, most people probably wouldn't realize, you know, or notice these little things that we probably notice. So, you know, I just think it's in the details and, and those small little things can make a difference, whether it's a, di- you know, I hate having a dirty bar in front of me when I'm eating or drinking as you, do, as you probably do, you know, you go into a restaurant and there's, you know wet napkins there yeah i find that uh i've I've gotten a little bit a little bit more relaxed but uh, generally whatever issue it is that's going on in the restaurants uh you know at at that time and there's always you know that restaurants have so many parts that (laughs) one of them is going to be broken at some at some point and I, i find that whatever issue it is whether it's you know the the hvac air conditioning or we had some noise complaints, like, and so I'm looking at the uh, at the soundproofing. I'm I, I'm a little bit more more heightened awareness of those when I when I'm heating out. So so that's true. When it comes to brown limes, you mean garnishing it with a brown because you could still use those for juicing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, if you're gonna garnish, it should be an unblemished, yeah. perfect looking garnish. Yeah, I I don't like when the uh, the pith 
is inclu- the middle kind of pit is included on that garnish. Right. I need to cut that out. Yeah, I've got some bartenders that are like really, like you know, anal about that thing. They're like they have to cut the pith out, and I'm like, hey, dude, that's your thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all about it. But not yeah. necessary. Not necessary, but no. it's 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 great to see that people have that eye for detail, which I like, and that's the kind of culture that we're trying to cultivate in all of our bars, hopefully, you know. And uh, so I think. When, when you got started, obviously, as a, as a teenager, like reading a, reading about cocktails, were you just reading about cocktail recipes, or did you have an interest in kind of the history of it as well from the start? Definitely not the history. I don't think that kind of, I don't think that state that part of the the industry has really kind of developed until recent years. You know, in probably the last five years, when you get all these great historians like Dave Wondrich and Ted Haig and Gary Regan and you know um, Dale DeGroff and all these people that have really put the light on our industry that we've taken an interest in the history and where these you know where these drinks have come from um but yeah I, it was more just recipes at that stage mm-hmm. you know and i was getting them out of things like you know um housewife magazines and you know big beautiful red and blue drinks and that was my f- foundation i guess so it wasn't until even the last six or seven years i really took a vested interest in like where these drinks come from and why they matter and why they you know, what is the Negroni and where does it come from? And, you know, I know that's your favorite drink. And it's like, you know, where does, where does this start? You know, because those are the building blocks of what we do. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think there are very few original cocktails. A lot of them are, are based on something else that's happened before. And then you, you personalize, maybe you change the proportions or you change the ingredients or you add your own personal touch to it. Um, but there, there has to be something that's, that's new and original going on. You do a, a decent amount of travel. Um, what's, what, what's one of the, like the new exciting cocktail movements that's going on? Cause for so long it was, it was just people catching up to the way it was before prohibition. Like, Let's just let's just all agree that we should be using fresh juices and you know and that blue curacao shouldn't live behind the bar or something like that and let's just catch up to 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 that and now they feel like a lot of bars have caught up to that what's what's the next phase what's what's exciting what's the next thing that's going on in some ways I would like to see us go back to a bit more simplicity Mm -hmm. like where it all started you know I think that the great cocktails all started with two, three, four ingredients, and those were the foundations of where we are now. And it's t- perfectly fine to put your own twist on those things, but I think that if you have that base, it's going to put you in a, in a, in a good direction because I think a lot of the, I guess, the people coming through the industry now are looking to do things a little very weird and wacky and out there maybe for the sake of doing it. But, you know, I would like to think, see things going in that direction. A couple of things that are exciting me right now are, are bottled cocktails. Um, I think, and people think these things are like a big fad, but bottle cocktails have actually a very long history back through to the 1800s and you know when a lot of the saloons were closed on Sunday after, on Sundays that people would go to their favorite bar and ask their co- their bartender for bottled cocktails and they would make them up cocktails and take them home so they could entertain people on that Sunday when the saloons were closed so there's a very long history of these bottled cocktails and people started you know companies started selling like you know um, bottled mixes and bottled cocktails which had a good credibility at that time unfortunately it's gone in a totally different direction but what we're seeing is coming back full circle and people, you know, whether it's a great friend of mine, Jeffrey Morgenthaler in, at Clyde Common in Portland or, you know, people in London and it's now permeating its way around the world to do these great bottled cocktails. And for someone that runs a busy restaurant like yourself, you know, like these things are, make sense to me as a business person as well. Like these are the drinks that we can make before service and we literally just pop it like a beer and, you know, there's your, there's your drink. You know, we have one at Saxon and Pro, which is a Champagne Negroni. 
just a Negroni with some sparkling wine. We cap it with a bottle crimper and we have put a little neck tag on it and there's your champagne Negroni. And like we just pop it like a beer and we hand it to you and you drink it out of the bottle. So these things are actually not just cool to look at and they're fun and cute, but they're actually smart business because you can just expedite them very quickly. Wow, you know? that is fantastic. I had absolutely zero idea. Uh, that That's really cool. And uh, and then I obviously think to the, the next step, which would be uh, bottled cocktails for retail sale. Uh, do you know of any of that? I mean, obviously you can't make that in the restaurant and then sell it for retail because we have this really weird on-premises liquor license all restaurants have on-premises liquor license and in order to sell it to go out you have to have an off-premises liquor license which you're not allowed to have both um but i think that would be a really a great you know a a great thing uh obviously yeah have you heard of that at all anyone i haven't you know and and i think i would love to if that's the way the industry's going and people can do it well on a massive scale then i'm all about it you know like what is the next step for our industry in terms of you know what's the next? What's the McDonald's of the industry next? Like, how can we get drinks out to people fast, but but good? You know, like how can we do this on a massive scale? You know, so I think there's an opportunity there for someone, you know, to 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 take that and run with it. The other thing I like about bottled cocktails is that uh, every cocktail is going to be a little bit different because you're you're making it. There's got to be some little uh, bit of human error, but you you can probably more easily easily standardize and batch it out kind of so that it's it's more consistent drink to drink if you're if you're bottling it because so you make i'm sure you make a bunch at a time Definitely. and then fill them up yeah i think i mean consistency is the key and i think that when you're making things in that kind of yeah in that kind of quantity for sure like we want them to taste the same and to come out the same every time and that's that's the beauty of these things we can make 10 20 50 100 at one time and hopefully we can get to a stage where we can sell those in one night and you know they're I would love to walk into Saxon and Pro one day and see everyone sipping champagne Negronis out of the bottle or sitting on the Bowery when it's July and, you know, you know, we sell them by the bucket as well, like you would a, bu- a bucket of beer. So, you know, like I would love to walk, you know, past the Bowery and see people doing that, you know, so. Now you also do Negronis on tap, is that correct? We have Negronis you- on tap in three of our other venues. Okay. We, have, we have five properties right now, um, but we have a Manhattan on tap at Saxon and Pro, which is probably not easily, but pretty close to our biggest selling drink, so... We put in like a little keg downstairs and it comes through the beer, like almost like through the beer line. It comes out, again, it comes out consistent because we measure it. It comes out cold, you know, so it's, and people like the novelty factor of it, you know, so people think it's a fad, but again, it's smart business. It comes out quickly. And it comes out quickly. And when you're in, uh, it's Friday night at Saxon Parole, you need to get your drinks out quick because it is, uh, it is busy. I try to tell people not to come into Saxon Parole on a Friday. No, just kidding. (laughs) But it's like, it's kind of crazy in there on the weekends, you know, and I think that having these little um, things up our sleeve, I guess, like bottle cocktails, cocktails on tap, um, really help us to expert, you know, we, we, we couldn't have the ambitious program that we have there unless we had these things to, you know, um, to expedite the drinks really quickly, you know, so I think it's important for us to have that balance of cool, quirky stuff, but we're here to make money and we're here to make, and make sure that we get the drinks out of people as quick as they can. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think about a uh, a wine program this way and a, and you think and cocktail program too but it has to be functionalities it, it, you can have the greatest program uh but if it's not functional then it doesn't it doesn't work anymore and, and you know and if it doesn't make money at the end of the day then you know you're not you're not in business but when taking the functionality and the financial side out of it when you when you think about the creative part about it because this is where you know i think front of house people can 
get closer to the back of house where you can you can kind of stretch your creative muscles when you when you're taking the creative side of it how do you approach putting together uh, a new cocktail list for for a restaurant you so there are five different restaurants and then also how do you approach creating a, a new cocktail well in terms of a list I think the most important thing is to figure out like who your audience is first of all you know I'm probably you know I'm quite certain that when you're putting together a wine list like where like where is your restaurant like who is coming there first i think that a lot of cocktail menus these days are created for the bartender creating it and not necessarily for the people you know drinking it so i try to make sure that i identify who's coming to it you know who's coming to the bowery as opposed to who's coming to elizabeth street down this you know where we, our other restaurants are so trying to identify that clientele and then you know um making sure that these are drinks that are going to you know, s- strike a nerve with the, that those particular people. You know, and then obviously seasonality comes into it. What's in season right now? Making sure our list is balanced. Is there? You know, making sure there's a list of spirits that are balanced, juices that are balanced, glassware. Uh, you know, are there drinks that are served on the rocks? Up, down, long, short. You know, shaken egg white drinks. So making sure there's a little bit of something for everybody, if that's the right word. You know, to try and make sure that we kind of you know hit all the bases where. Hopefully anyone walking into my venue can find something that they like. So that's my kind of, that's a very broad way to, to describe how I go about, you know, creating each season. I, well, I personally have always found something that I like at, at one of your venues. And uh, let's talk a little bit more about that uh, when we come back from just a brief break. You're listening to IDID by Obesity on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here with Naren Young, good friend of mine, the bar director for Saxon and Parole, but also uh, a few other restaurants, Public. And tell us, what, what's the whole, the whole gamut? So our company, I guess, Avrico Hospitality yeah. Group, we now have uh, five properties. Uh, we have four in, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, I guess, our flagship is uh, Public, which has been open about nine years, and 
next door to that we have a, a, a relatively new bar called The Daily, which is a, is a really interesting bar that has a, a cocktail menu that changes every single day, which is a pretty pretty unique concept. Uh, and then we have Saxon and Parole, which is, I guess, my home base. And we have Madame Geneva, which is connected to that, which is our kind of gin-focused bar. And then we have a property in uh, Napa Valley called The Thomas. Well, tell me, tell us a little bit more about the the daily. I've heard such great things. That's got to be just uh, uh, so much work to come up with new cocktails every day, and then train and then make sure they're consistent. And well, the thing is, it's actually you know when when we started putting together ideas for this venue, like you know, I guess you know the, the owners of Avrico were like, okay, what can we do here that's interesting? And my my, my first thought was, you know, chefs change change their menu every day all the time in different restaurants why can't a bar do that so they thought i was crazy at the time they thought this will never work you know you can never pull that off so it's actually probably turned out to be the easiest of all of our venues weirdly enough so we have five cocktails per day um plus a bottled cocktail for two people now we work off a rolodex of about 700 drinks which i put together painstakingly by hand so we basically plan the menu out the week before Mm -hmm. so by the thursday or friday the week before we know the menu for the next week coming up so um, and we push it a lot through social media. So we every day we tell people these are the drinks for tonight. Come down to the daily, um, and the whole place was designed to be like the anti speakeasy, you know. So it was supposed to be like it's about the size of like a speakeasy, a modern speakeasy, you know, to use that term loosely. Whether it's a PDT or a milk and honey, it's very small. Probably holds about thirty five, forty people. Um, but we wanted it to be loud and fun and boisterous and energetic and convivial, and we play loud rock and roll music. You know, it, this is not a place to come if you want to have a quiet conversation. No one's going to tell you to take your hat off or to, you know, yeah. not, not talk to women or you know to, to keep your voice down. Like this is a par- this is a party. You know? where, where do you post the rules about how you should <laughs> act? And- we, we only have one rule, and that's just to be respectful to everybody in the venue. But it's you know it's. Uh, it's a fun place, you know, it gets loud and crazy and that's what we want. And, you know, you might go in there and hear The Who or Rolling Stones or, you know, the Beastie Boys and, you know, and on t- you know, if you want a can of beer and a shot, we'll do that for you. But, you know, it's also a place where you can get some of the best cocktails in the city, maybe in the country and, and be able to let your hair down and have some fun at the same time. And to me, going to a bar should be fun. Should be fun. I mean, and then that gives people a reason to keep coming back to try to try new things, to try those creations. And then tell us about Madame Geneva. The what, what was the inspiration for that? Why why all gin? Madame Geneva was you know Madame Geneva was that term itself was mm-hmm. was a term used back in the, in the eighteenth century you know as a you know a, a, a colloquialism for gin you know um, and we wanted you know there was no really gin bars in the city and we want to kind of create a you know a beacon for people that want to come and and learn about gin and you know we're not you know um evangelizing about it but it's you know we have about 50 or 60 different gins there and if you know i think gin is such a a beautiful spirit and probably is probably the greatest spirit through history in terms of great classic cocktails you know so we wanted a place that people could come and and be enlightened about the virtues of gin and not be scared about it because they probably had a bad experience you know when they were 16 and they probably went into their parents you know liquor cabinet and drank something terrible that you know that you might normally clean your car with and uh you know so people have been turned off gin but we're coming full circle and like gin is you know as you know is one of the great spirits of the world and we're hopefully playing our small part in in kind of you know um enlightening people on you know the great gin cocktails of of, you know of past eras yeah i mean in the italian restaurants i find that i'm telling people about the the merits of grappa 
And you have the same thing where people are like, ah, grappa is jet fuel. It's just the most horrid thing. Why are you trying to make me drink this? I'm, like, I'm going to give it to you for free. Like, you, you have to try. Like, there's some really, really good grappa out there. And uh, I, I'm actually uh, just like curious, interested to hear that, that you've heard the same thing about gin uh over the years that that people but it, it makes sense to me I, i've now that i think about it i've heard it as well but it's just that it happens so much more with with grappa sherry too is another another thing that that you know our parents generation messed up for for our generation <laughs> where definitely people don't realize the merits of great sherry well i think a lot of those yeah a lot of those spirits people don't they've probably never had it made in the right way or made by a good producer like grappa for instance like you said most people know it as, as rocket fuel, but like if you get something like Jacopo Poli or you know um, any of these great producers, you know you know it's it's a great gateway into showing people that there is beautiful grappa out there. And, and like you said, as a restaurateur, it, it it's a good idea to give some away for free. To just say, no, here's a little taste, and maybe next time they come back, they'll have your trust and they can rely on you. And I mean, I'm a sherry like freak. You know what I mean? I think that sherry is the next big thing for the industry and I think a lot of the great bartenders across America right now are embracing sherry and really realizing that particularly back in the 1850s like the sherry cobbler was the most popular cocktail in America like that was the drink everyone was drinking sherry cobblers and like if I could go into any decent bar right now and get a sherry cobbler I'd be a pretty happy 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 person you know so I think that sherry is is just on the tipping point of like you know of where we're at and I think people like yourself and other people that can help you know spread that that gospel of, of sherry, I'm all about it. Yeah. So when, when you're not at work, where are we going to find you asking for sherry cobblers or just uh, <laughs> drinking in, in general? Um, I definitely have a soft spot for PDT. You know, I think Jim Meehan is one of the great hosts and, and, and gentlemen and, and people of our industry that has really kind of um, taken a, a young group of bartenders through the last five years of their operation and really, um, you know, permeated this kind of professionalism through our industry. So I love... I love to eat it, you know. I'd love to drink it um, at PDT, um, you know. But I like, you know, a good Irish bar. I love to go to Swift and having a pint of Guinness, or, you know, um, you know. Sometimes you might find me at Lapicho having a little Negroni after work. Um, but yeah, anywhere I can just, you know, get a nice Negroni and and sit comfortably, I'm, I'm a happy man. <laughs> that, I'm, uh, yeah, I know that you're a Negroni. Where did this love of, of Negroni come from? Is it the the Italian culture in Sydney? You know what? That's a really good question. I think that, you know, you've probably seen this too, that the Negroni is like the bartender's drink, you know, and this is not just in New York, it's in Sydney, it's in London, it's in Italy. It's like all over the world you go, the, the Negroni is like, it's like the bartender's badge of honor, you know what I mean? It's like the, the bartender's currency, you know, it's like, so I think that it's just such a complex polarizing cocktail that is just so strange that it just works and, you know, the, it's the perfect example of a drink being more than the sum of its parts. You know, gin, Campari, sweet vermouth. It just when it, those things come together, and it to me, it's pretty hard to screw up a Negroni. Like you can, you can give me a Negroni in an old shoe, and I'll probably drink it. You know, I think it's like, you know. But now we're seeing Negroni popsicles, Negroni. I've seen Negroni chewing gum. I've seen Negroni jelly. Like you know, champagne Negronis. Like all sorts of different permeations of Negronis, which I think is kind of cool. That's wow. That's really cool. And we have when we have Negroni sorbet now, which we serve at Saxon and Prol as well, which is kind of cool. So. 
come by and have some. I would, do, I would definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm also. I share it with you. I, I love Negronis. We uh, we have a, a variation at Delanima that I'm proud of with uh, roasted oranges. Uh, I've, had, I've had that. Yeah. Uh, and then for for brunch, uh, we we actually soak our um, our grapefruits. You've seen like grapefruits that with the caramelized on the top. We soak that in in Campari and, Ooh, and nice. then throw that on the plancha, and, and that gives it a really good flavor. Uh, <laughs> and you serve the spagliato as well. We serve the spagliato. Yeah, nice. Yeah, which is a great unsung hero of the cocktail world, I think. I think so too. And you know, I find that it, that's the Negroni spagliato might be my my favorite cocktail because I feel like for me, the, I mean, Negronis are supposed, they're meant to be aperitif cocktails, but I find like that they are strong. And so when I'm drinking Negronis, Negronis, it's after work. It's right. when I'm going out. Yeah. But if it's before a meal, I want something just a little bit lighter, a little bit more refreshing. And then the spagliato, which, which replaces the, you know, you know, replaces the gin with, with sparkling wine that just refreshes it, makes it, makes it a little bit lighter, makes it more lively, and uh, I, I just really like that. Yeah. Uh, and I love the Americano too, you know, which is another great highball, which you could drink 10 of those on a Sunday afternoon. I love this. I didn't realize you're such a tradition, because I go in uh, uh, to Saxon Pearl and you have, you know, you have the, the cocktails on tap, you have cocktails in bottles, you have a uh, uh, gin and tonic with, uh, you know, that's, that's just like a really creative rendition on gin and tonic, with homemade tonic. We make a tonic in house and we yeah. serve it on a big ice spear, you know, yeah. and you know with a metal straw and house made, you know, um, you know we get a, a grapefruit bitters as well. So, you know, like we do a lot of stuff. I guess people could call a little bit avant garde, but I'm definitely a purist at heart, and you know, my foundation is definitely classic, and I want people, you know, I'd love to, if anything, I'd love to, you know, evangelize those classic cocktails first, but put our own little spin on them, you know. And when you're hiring a bartender, what what is it that you look for? First and foremost, I'm probably looking for personality, you know, just people that are, you know, I want people that have hospitality, like, running through their bones, you know, so all that other stuff about making drinks and how to make a Negroni and the history of the Negroni, we can teach all that stuff, you know, and, and down the track, and if people have an interest in that, then great, but I just want people that really live and breathe hospitality, that people love serving people, you know, there's nothing worse than going to a restaurant and getting surly service or someone that shouldn't be working in our industry, you know, so I just want people that are people, people. They're you know, people, but, people. Yeah, yeah. And, and then go for, and then all the other stuff we can teach, you know. So, um, yeah, I just want people that just really love, you know, being behind a bar and and taking care of people and give sincere service and and really, you know, care about the job. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's the the most important part and the the only part you can't teach. And I, I think I would answer that question the exact same way. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, well, well, thank you so much for for being on the show. I mean, pleasure, I can't, buddy. I can't uh, tell you how much I appreciate. It. Is there anything else that you have that you you that you have coming up that you want to tell anyone about? Uh, I definitely want to recommend everyone to check out the website. Which what is the uh, uh, fork and fork and shaker dot com? Fork and shaker dot com. I was I've been looking at it a lot in you know preparation uh, for today. It's actually it's it's beautiful. I wish my website <laughs> looked like that. Um, you know some great recipes, recommendations, a nice piece on pouring ribbons, which is a, another great little local East great Village bar. bar. Yeah. Um, are we are you doing any travel coming up? Or are you doing any cocktails? Little, I just got back from uh, Sweden and Denmark. What I got to. Uh Hang out and eat at Noma, which was pretty cool. Wow, um, that was pretty serious. And um, got some trips to Mexico coming up, Martinique. Um, I was just in Paris a few weeks ago, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff. And I think that's where a lot of my, 
ideas come from about seeing what people are doing in other parts of the world and you know kind of you know putting all those together and seeing what comes out the other side yeah. perfect yeah. all right well thank you again so much My and uh, thanks all of you for listening uh this is in the drink on heritage radio network.org Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.